If you're demonstrating something and it's hands-on, people listen. And believe me, if you want to find somebody sleeping in a class where somebody has a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) and they don't have anything to pass around for me to hold, I'm going to be the guy sleeping in the class. Welcome to the Gas Compression Podcast. This is the only podcast out there for professionals working in the gas compression industry. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews and discussions with some of the leaders in the industry to discuss the latest trends and what the future holds. If you're working in the gas compression industry and have always wanted to sit down with the leaders in our field to pick their brain, this show is your chance. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry. Available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free at www.gascompressionmagazine.com. Well, Curtis Royce, welcome to the Gas Compression Podcast. I'm very excited to have you on. Thanks, Michael. It's going to be interesting to do this. Yeah, I think so. For those of you who don't know Curtis, he is known as the grandfather of divider block systems. Is that about right? Mostly because of my age and how long I've been in this, but yes, that's what people call me. And you are the founder, president, and janitor of Patton Lubrication Systems. Is that right? I am. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Well, we have a lot to talk about. This may turn into two shows. I'm not sure, but I want to start where I start with everybody is how in the world did you end up where you are today? That's a very long story that old people talk about. We'll make it short. A gentleman hired me off the bandstand in 1975 to work in the oil and gas industry. I was a traveling musician in a show group. And so whenever he put me in this field, I knew nothing about it. And so I had to learn because it's just my nature. But once I started learning, I started finding problems. And quite candidly, I made every mistake on a divider block system, whether it's the design or the installation that you can make, and I had to correct those. So I paid my due through the years. First of all, what musical instrument do you play? I play bass guitar and blues harmonica. That's awesome. Are you still in a band or doing that stuff on the side? I still play, yes. Two things that never leave you in cars and guitars. I play with both of those. But guitars have come into play a lot with divider block system components in the last few years. Interesting. So you have been, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started a divider block company and sold it and then were out of the industry and then came back in. Is that right? I did. I started CC Technology in 1996. We introduced several products. We patented probably eight to 10 new products for the divider block system. One of the original inventors of the DNFT, the ProFlow yes. Junior, the ProFlow PF1. Are We've my sold inventions. a lot of those. We've actually sold a lot of those. And yeah. so I can go on with those things. And when I say I did it, let me tell everybody. I'm not smart enough to do what I do. I've been very blessed and I feel there's a higher power that gives me everything that comes through me and it works much better than saying I did this. So yes, and we sold CC technology to CPI in 2010. And of course I had to abide by my non-compete. And then five years ago, I started developing new products to obsolete the products 
and the intellectual property I had prior to. I love the entrepreneurial story. So where does the name Patton come from? Where'd you, why'd you start Patton Lubrication? Where'd that name come from? We have realized that nobody has improved any, for instance, lubricator boxes. We're still manufacturing the industry and selling the same lubricator boxes that were sold since 1955, 1940s. And we aren't improving those. And so I decided to make it a concerted effort to design and develop a new lubricator box because we needed a tough box. And then whenever my animator said, you know what, Curtis, this thing is tank tough. And I went, who builds tanks? General Patton. And that's exactly where Patton came from. And so having said that, we warranty all of our products for two years. And our check valves are warranted for five years because they're tank tough. That's a good story. I like that name. Well, I want to dive right into your passion. And that is lubricator systems and how that applies to operations in compressors. Now, I would say that, I mean, it's obvious that oil in a compressor, in any kind of rotating equipment, that's the blood. And yes. We've run into as a machine shop and someone who repairs compressors. You and I had a conversation about this. Whenever we metalize and recondition a cylinder and it goes back on, we're not operations experts. We're the machine shop experts. And so we always can get into this kind of tug of war of like, what was up with the lubrication system? And that small thing can cause big, big problems. And and you can even talk about the compressors you're dealing with this morning and kind of bring up that. But where do you want to start in terms of just as an industry, as a the mechanics that are out there day in, day out, hanging and pulling compressors? Where do you want to start on the state of the industry as far as oil and lubricating goes? If I could change one thing in the contract compression industry and with compressor overhaul and packaging shops, I would have them understand the operation and maintenance of the divider block system. And that's a big statement. But first of all, these compressor overhaul companies and in the field, whenever they hire people to come out and overhaul compressors, they will put tens of thousands of dollars in overhauling a compressor. And then they never check the design of the loop system to ensure it's designed correctly. Mm -hmm. Because as you well know, when somebody comes out and they need to change a divider block, it's possible that someone made a mistake. Oh, yeah. It's possible that somebody put the wrong block on because they didn't have the correct one on their truck. And so now we've got a compressor that has burnt up rings, rods, packing, whatever. And then they overhaul this compressor and nobody ever looks at the divider block system, gets someone that's qualified to look at the design and ensure there's enough lubrication going in any of those lubrication points. And so they put tens of thousands of dollars worth of components on those compressors, but they never check to see if they're going to be lubricated correctly. And you can't imagine how many times that I've run into exactly this. First of all, in my classes, I train on the operation maintenance divider block systems. So I'll ask everyone in my training and at a shop level, okay, gentlemen, we just overhauled this compressor. Tell me how you know that oil's going into the lubrication points. 
How do you know that it's being lubricated correctly? You know what my number one answer is? My number one answer to that question is, we break the lines loose. There's oil coming out of those lines. And I immediately go, wait a minute. You just took the line loose to ensure oil going in to the lubrication point. But what you found out when you broke that line loose is that loop system will pump oil to the atmosphere. And then you connect it back to a check valve and expect it to buck 600, 1,500 pounds of pressure. So all you've done is ensured that oil will go to atmosphere. And this is what's destroying compression. And not just today, but yesterday and in the future. And so we need to bring the overhaul companies up to speed and the compressor owner operators, the compressor compression leasing companies, whenever they go in and do any type of work on a compressor, no matter what it is, and that loop system's been on there for a couple of years, they need to have someone that is skilled in their trade, A, check the design of the system, and B, ensure the correct components are on that divided block system so that we can get the correct amount of oil to the lubrication points. Let me ask you a stupid question here because I said we never get into operations. So does every single compressor package out there have a divider block on it in yes, the lubrication system? Okay. There will be some old, old, old system that will have pump per point lubrication systems on. So they have a lubricator on each point that has a sight glass. And so they adjust each lubricator to get oil to those. But I'm going to say 98% of the compressors in the industry now have divider block systems on them. And what are you seeing as the current way that that happens? So I just had, are you familiar with Tops in Midland? I just had Brian yeah. Green on the podcast. He's coming to mind when you're talking about overhaul and, and packaging shops. So what's the current MO? When a compressor comes in to be overhauled, it's a two throw, four throw, whatever it is, it comes in the shop. What are you seeing that is currently being done for maintenance on the lubrication systems in these third party and overhaul shops? Being quite candid, nothing. It they happens don't. all the time. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned, Brian, because over a year ago, we went out and talked with Tops here in Midland. We had a meeting with Brian and his people. And we started talking about lubrication systems. And I told him the components we had and what we did. And I said, could we go out to your shop and let's see what's going on in your shop? We went out to the shop. We found that there were old divider blocks. They'd been on there five, six, eight, 10 years that were being left on the compressors. And then check valves were being installed, but they were the wrong type of check valve. You must use a divider block system check valve, and these were chemical pump check valves, and they're disc checks, and so they don't seal correctly. But the big thing is people install the check valves incorrectly. They will install them in a vertical position, and in a vertical position, when a check valve is installed in a cylinder, you'll understand this, that check valve is installed in this direction, okay? Or in this direction. Whenever you do this, then every time that check valve opens that to inject oil into the cylinder, you have hot gas and trash that's trying to get back up past that ball check. And it gets into the seating surfaces of the check valve and causes them to fail. 
And then, unfortunately, people will install the same check valve in the same way, thinking they're going, the result's going to be different, and they've not corrected anything. A quick story of how I learned this. I returned 100 check valves to Lincoln when I was working for a company, United Pump and Supply, UPNS in Odessa. An engineer asked me why I'm returning so many check valves. I said, they're all failing. This is one of my learning experiences, by the way. And uh, he flew down from St. Louis and he said, can we go out and look at a compressor? And I said, absolutely. And he said, what do you think these check valves are failing? And me being young, this was in 1978, I said, well, I think your quality control sucks. <laughs> and he looked at me and a big smile came on his face. He said, let's go look at your compressor installations. Michael, we went out and looked at that compressor installation. We drove up on site and he looked up at the check valves and went, mm -mm -mm, your check valves are installed incorrectly. My exact question was, what do you mean my check valves are installed correctly? And the answer was exactly what I just told you. The industry installs check valves in any direction they want. And the way check valve seals is through a liquid seal. So you have to keep that oil on that seating surface. When it's not on the seating surface, gas can bypass into that system immediately. Because if you clean out a check valve with totally with no oil in it, you can pump backwards. And when you pump backwards, that means the gas is going into the system. That causes your divider blocks to lock up and you blow rupture discs and your compressor shuts down. And so there's one of my first lessons about how to install compressor check valve. But let's get back to tops. Once I talked to these people and I saw what they've done, Ryan said, wait a minute. And he set me down and we, I explained to him all the discrepancies we saw. And Eddie Mac Reynolds was there. Eddie Mac Reynolds has been through several of my classes. And he said, Curtis is right. Eddie's worked for different companies. So there we go. From that point forward, every compressor that comes into Top's shop, we design lubrication forms, lubrication divider block systems for them. They're installed on those systems and their downtime has decreased exponentially because now the loop systems are designed correctly and installed correctly. You're welcome to ask Brian about the runtime of his compressors now because he's enjoying some really nice runtime, but only because they started putting divider block systems on every unit that comes through their shop. Now they have excellent runtime, they have happy customers, and the belief in tops is through the roof right now. I also say they also have happy vendors because we do work for them and they're one of the few, they're one, they're, they're someone who hasn't, where we repaired a compressor and they call us a week later and say, hey, something's wrong with this compressor. I know you guys just fixed it, but it went down and it's not, metalizing is not working. And then we get it dry as a bone. And so that hasn't happened with tops. You're exactly right. I'll make sure and reach out to Brian and tell him you, you said that. That's a good story you know, to hear. We've got a bunch of good people. We went out and worked with his people on the floor to train them and explain to them why we do what we do. And they're open. They're like sponges. Well, we want to know. Yes. Let me defend those people. Let me defend the owner, operators. Let me defend the mechanics that are in the field. Let me defend the overhaul companies. In their defense, no one has ever come in and explained to them what I just told you. And so in their defense, if you don't know, you don't know. They've been doing the same thing for years. 
but they didn't realize the consequences once the compressors got out there. And just like you, overhauling cylinders. And then come, somebody comes back and they're, well, we got a set of packing that's burnt out. We got a rod that's burnt out. Well, how's your lubrication system? Oh, it's fine. We know it's getting oil. Well, how do you know it's getting oil? You see, let me throw one more thing in there. If someone came up to you and said, Michael, you've got an old body. I'm talking about mine, by the way. And we're going to rebuild your body. Futuristically speaking, the medical industry can now rebuild your body. And they're going to say, Michael, we're going to give you uh, new veins. We're going to give you new muscles. And we can build the bones that are having problems. And so we're going to rebuild your whole body. And oh, by the way, while we're in there, you want us to give you a new heart? What are you going to say? Of course. Of course. But we will rebuild a compressor in a shop or in the field. And we'll put tens of thousands of dollars. And we give it new muscles, new veins. We give it new bones, cylinders, rings, rods, and packing, but we don't give it a new heart. And the divider block system, the pump is the heart. The divider block system are the veins that deliver that oil into those cylinders. So you see the problems we've been creating for years by not adhering to checking the divider block system, installing the correct components, and so on. This seems like very common sense. And why, in your opinion, are more companies not doing what Tops did and saying, hey, get in here and teach us, get in here and show us what to do? What are we missing here? That's difficult to say. Someone hasn't come in and talked to the right people and said, why are you doing this? I have another customer. I'm not allowed to give their name, of course, but their packages are built in Oklahoma and the lubrication systems that are on them when they come into the shop in West Texas. They package them out there, the compressor frames with the loop systems are on, they come out there and they package them. They're operating at 4,500 PSI, their wellhead compressor. And they called us one day early last year and said, can you come out and look at our systems? And I said, absolutely. So I went out and looked at what they had. And I said, well, you've got some missing components. And their question was, what do you mean? And I explained, because they're at high pressure, they must have balanced lubrication system. And we can get into that later. But, but they said, well, what do you mean? And I explained to them. They said, well, can you fix this? And we said, with both my guys that worked with me, and uh, we said, absolutely, but we'll need to pull the system off of there. And their immediate response was, wait, these are new divider blocks, and it's a new pump. And I said, I understand that but they're designed incorrectly. They had a three-block system that should have been a four-block system. So they were tremendously over-lubricating one of the cylinders, which cost the industry hundreds of thousands of dollars in over-lubrication, but it wasn't designed correctly. And when I say correctly, let me say that there are a lot of people that design systems. It's not, it wasn't designed to our specifications that I've learned work through the last 40 years. So. We redesigned, installed that system. They've never been able to get above testing pressure in that shop above 2,000 or 2,200 PSI. I sit there that day with a test run of this compressor after we replaced the system and we balanced it. And that system and those test loops went to 4,500 PSI. And everybody was coming over looking at the control panel going, how did you do this? Well, it's because they couldn't run it long enough 
because the lube system was not giving it enough oil and it would eat. And so from that point forward, now this company, we go out, we take off the systems that are on there whenever they receive them. We put our design on there and their runtime with all of the systems we've installed is endless at this point. No problems whatsoever. And so the proof is in the pudding. There's nothing magical about what we do. It's just getting people to listen and getting us to be able to help them. And we'll be happy to show them why we do what we do, but we've got to get people's attention first. Is that kind of what most of your day and week and your professional career looks like at this point is kind of going out and just, you're not really selling anything. You're going out and saying, hey, this lubrication system isn't right. Let me design it for you. People are just calling you saying, I got this problem. They're not calling saying, I need a new lubricator system. They're calling you and saying, we can't figure this compressor out. Every customer that calls us has a problem. Either they've got range rods or packing cylinders that they continue having to replace. And we go out and look at the systems. And quite candidly, we have redesigned every system that we've gotten on. Because for whatever reason, either the system's been changed through the years, they're not getting enough oil, or they're getting too much oil. We see uh, valve breakage, a lot of valve breakage from injecting too much oil through the lubrication system. But that's because the operators, if they're having problems, don't understand how to adjust the system. But if they did, and it was the wrong divider block system design, then they'd burn something up. So they open the pumps up, pump too much oil in there, they break valve plates. And then, of course, the compression leasing company is paying for the oil that's going in there. And not one time have I been in a meeting in any compression leasing company or owner operator that says, guys, our oil consumption is great. Don't worry about it. Every meeting they say, we've got to get this oil consumption under control. And where does the oil go on the lubrication system? It goes down the pipeline. It can't be reclaimed. And so we have to get those systems correctly designed and teach the operators. Get them in a class, teach them why we need to control oil consumption. So you see, it's one of those things that the industry needs help. That's what we're set out to do. Let's talk some tactical things that we could share with the industry. To First of all, do you offer an online course where people can sign up and pay and, and get a kind of a lubrication one-on-one system from you? One of the things that I've learned in my lifetime, by the way, I don't have any salespeople, Michael. Do you know why I don't have any salespeople? Because your lubrication systems sell themselves? No, because I was a salesman. <laughs> and so I went, wait a minute, do I want a salesman working for me? And no, I'm teasing about that. But because whenever people call me and we fix their problems, word of mouth is what gets us out there. And so... And I've learned a long time ago, I was in 1980, 82, whatever, a gentleman told me I came in and I had a brochure. And I said, Curtis Roy, we have divider block systems and I'm giving him these brochures. And he says, well, thank you. I'll look at these. And I turned around and walked out. And then he called me back in his office and he said, Curtis, can I help you with something in your sales ability? And I said, well, sure. And he said, Presentation without demonstration is simply conversation. And what you just did to me is you came in and gave me a brochure 
expecting that I was going to read it. And I don't read these brochures. But if you would have had a product in your hand that you could have given me that I could have looked at, then you could have demonstrated that to me and told me the good qualities of it was. Then you got my attention. And so why don't I train online? Because every one of my classes are hands-on. We pass all the components around the class. And everybody gets to see and hold those pieces, whether it be worn out pieces or whether it be new pieces. And then they get an idea of why they need to have these components on there. That's exactly what we do. One of the things we've learned through past is when you get your oil from an oil source, what happens? Well, the oil comes off of the oil pump or the oil supply, correct? It goes up to the lubricator pump. And then if that compressor shuts down, you have tubing that's about three or four foot long. And so where does the oil go that was in that tubing when that compressor is shut down? Where would you think it would go? Now, you've got tubing that's about four foot long. And now you shut the compressor down so the lube on the oil pump is down. So where's that oil going to drain? Back in the lube box? It's going to go right back. This is a supply line that supplies the lubricator pump with oil on a pressurized pump. And so whenever that compressor goes down, the oil that was in that tubing goes right back into the compressor frame. Okay. Now, when it starts up, guess what it does? It pushes all the air that's in that tubing right up into the lubrication system, which airlocks the pump. It puts air in the divider block system. When it gets air in the divider block system, the divider blocks lock up. It blows a rupture disc or whatever relief device is on there. And the operators come out going, well, it's getting oil. We know it's getting oil. But it shut down again. They start it back up and they don't realize that they should have something as simple as that little check valve at the oil source. A lot of compressors that you'll see doesn't have that? Nope. The only people in the industry that have a check valve on their oil supply is Ariel. And so all of these other compressors, people fight this daily. They fight compressor shutdowns from lube no flow, from blowing rupture disc. That check valve should be at the oil supply source, wherever it's coming from, so you hold oil in the complete system. There are three definite things that create lubrication systems problems. Okay, what are those three? Air and dirt and no correct oil supply. So that little check valve can create some serious heartburn for owner operators. Going back to kind of some tactical things, what are, for the operators, mechanics out there that are in the industry going up, checking compressor stations and wellhead compression, what do they need to be aware of mostly? What are some telltale signs that they need to get you out? They need someone to look at their lubricator system. I mean, just like that check valve you just held up. If you're a mechanic or an operator out there and you don't have one of those at the source, should that's something that should raise a red flag, stuff like that. The next thing they need to put on their system is they need to install a filtering system of some kind before the lube pump. Because guess what 90% of lube pump failure you're caused by? Well, trash. That's exactly right. Now, we don't filter that oil. Let me ask you a question because that seems very much like common sense. So when a package comes from the factory, the lubricator pump does not have a filter? Before the pump, 
No. We started 20 odd years ago, we started installing Delta P filters. This is nothing new. The Delta P filter simply tells you it goes in one side and out the other, but it has two pressure gauges on it. And when it reaches 10 PSI differential, it tells you that the filter needs to be changed. But what we've done is we've got a spin-on filter and we've kept the trash out of the loop pump. So now those failures don't happen because we kept the trash out of it. And so what people will do is they won't put those on there. And another thing, Michael, is they, they put too much pressure on their lubricating pumps. So I'll stick with the filter. If you filter the oil coming into the loop pump, your loop pump's going to last longer. Because remember, 90% of those failures were caused by trash in the loop pump. Okay, so now we've just, and we've given the operator something to troubleshoot the system by. When he goes up there, he sees the Delta P pressure gauges, there's 10 PSI differential, then it's time to change the filter. By the way, while I'm talking about that, you only use a non-bypass filter. You never take an automotive filter and install it on the divider block system thinking that you're going to be fine, you're filtering the oil, because all automotive filters have a bypass valve in them. Why do they have a bypass valve? Because as we're driving down the road, and whether it be men or women, and the filter stops up, you don't want to stop supplying oil to the motor. So the bypass valve opens at X pressure, and you keep oil flowing through the motor. You don't want that to happen on a divider block system because you don't want that trash to go into that loop pump and the divider box. So no bypass valve. One after this one. I've seen people for years come off the oil pressure frame of 50 or 60 PSI. And whenever they put this oil pressure in there at 60 PSI, they're causing some problems with the lubricator and what those problems are. And I know that there are industries that are out there that will say, oh, you can put 100 pounds of pressure on, our, on the suction side of our pump. It'll take 75, it'll take 100 pounds. I challenge anyone to connect a prelude gun on a lubricator pump and call me and tell me that that oil won't flow through that lubricator pump at 25 or 30 pounds. And so what we're doing is we're forcing oil through that pump and it creates problems with the pump as it's trying to pump the correct amount of oil. So then it causes our cycle time to change. But not only that, all lubricator pumps that are currently in the industry operate with a lever. It's got a rocker arm and the rocker arm. I don't have a lube pump sitting here with me, sorry. But so if everyone will look at their lube pumps and if they'll push the rocker arm up on the lube pump, they'll notice that the rocker arm pushes sideways on the piston on the loop. When it does, it doesn't just go straight up and down in a vertical position. That rocker arm rocks this way. And when it rocks this way, the piston that's up, it side loads the piston. When it side loads the piston and there's excessive pressure on the pump, then that pressure is going to allow oil to get past that piston. Remember, all lubricator pumps are metal-to-metal sealing surfaces. They have to have a way for oil to get between the metal so that they won't seize up. Well, whenever that piston is side-loaded, 
and there's pressure, excessive pressure, 50 or 60 PSI on that lubricator pump, it will begin to seep past the lube pump piston. When that happens, then just like a leaking faucet, if a faucet's leaking and it continues to leak and a little bit, it has its gushing. Same thing happens with the lubricator pump. How do we fix that? It's as simple as put a pressure regulator on the oil supply, reduce the pressure to 15 to 20 PSI. They can work fine seven to nine PSI because all we're doing is keeping oil in that pump on the suction side. Mm -hmm. So when we reduce the pressure, now we've just increased the pump life. What do you typically see the pressure set at? If you come in and they're having issues, you said keep it at seven to nine. What will it be normally when you get in there and look at it? Everybody's coming off of their oil pressure off the frame, and it's going to be 50 to 60 PSI. People are wondering, why are we replacing lubricator pumps? Well, let's replace this loop pump. Well, why is it worn out so quickly? Nobody ever asked that question. And well, so why they're wearing too quickly could possibly be we are overpressuring the suction side of the pump. So let me ask you a question. How long should a lubricator pump last? And under normal operating conditions, five or six years. So if you're swapping them out every month, then we got a problem. If we're swapping them out every year, you've got a problem. What you need to ask the operators is look at some historical data. You might talk with Eddie McReynolds with Tops. Eddie McReynolds, when since we started putting pressure regulators on Tops units, they had an onslaught. They were always replacing lubricator pumps. Their lubricator pump replacement in the last year has dropped tremendously. You don't have to take my word for it. You're welcome to ask Tops, Eddie McReynolds, or ask Brian. And the only reason is because we've reduced the pressure, the oil pressure on the loop pump. So if you don't have a regulator, it's just going to be running 50 or 60 pounds off the frame. That's exactly right. Off of the lube pump, oil pump, and the compressor frame. Unless it's fed by an overhead oil supplier. What are some other things that we can share or that you can share about just very low-hanging fruit issues that come up with compressors that you see constantly that mechanics or operators could diagnose and start to fix that problem? The best diagnostic tool you have is what I just showed you, pressure gauge. There should be a pressure gauge on every divider block system. There are manufacturers out there that put out divider block systems on brand new compressors, and they have no pressure gauges on the entire system. Well, then what are they doing to their operator? Because an operator goes out here, Michael, and when he walks up to a compressor, what does he see? When he walks up to a compressor, he sees this. Now, how can he diagnose or troubleshoot a piece of steel? <laughs> It's a great question. Here's my steel. I know it's got pistons in it. That's a divider block. And yet these manufacturers would send a compressor out without pressure gauge on it. And then they get out there and bless their hearts. Now you're asking an operator to troubleshoot the system. And there's no method. A pressure gauge is this simple. When you go out and you look at this pressure gauge and it's doing one of these numbers and it's coming up, and it's holding right there and just moving fluidly like this, your system's in pretty good shape. When that pressure gauge comes up like this and builds and it builds and it builds and snaps back down, guess what you've got? You've got air in your system. 
you've got a leaking check valve, you have a divider block piston that's stuck, or you've got a plugged injection point somewhere. What a great troubleshooting tool. But we're asking operators around the world don't have pressure gauges on there. And so how do they troubleshoot? So see, we as an industry have taken that ability away. But in defense of the operator mechanics, if you don't know, you don't know. Okay. So we can't fault those guys. But I will certainly fault anyone who puts a divider block system out there without pressure gauges on it. Because nobody, if it gets out there, what if they're operating at 600 PSI maximum discharge? How does that guy know what the pressure, what the divider block system's seeing? And they don't. So there you go. That's good. Keep going. This is really, really good information on what we need to be looking for on our compressor systems. Okay. Let's look at the divider block system and let's look at the discharge side of the pump. Here's the discharge side of the pump. This pressure gauge and this manifold is connected to the divider block system. We have the pumps that are connected here, and then we have a pressure gauge. But what do we have right here? And what the industry will do is they will put a tube fitting there, okay? Why do they put that there? Some of them do. A lot of these systems have no tube fittings on them whatsoever, so they cannot purge the system correctly. No matter what compressor divider block system it is, you should always purge the system of air with a purge gun. People call them Trayvon guns. It's a manual grease gun or manual oil gun, and you hook it on the discharge side of the pump. Many times we go to the suction side, and this and we loosen all of the tube fittings in the whole system and we start pumping this gut and we're purging the air out of the system. Well, and as they continue to purge and see there's no air coming out of these ports of the divider block of the check valves, we tighten those up. But if there's not a check valve on the discharge assembly where we're hooking the purge gun to, what happens whenever we have a purge gun connected to this and we've built 1,000 pounds of pressure, and we purge the whole system, and we take that off and take it loose. Where does the oil go in that tube fitting? It squirts right back out in the air. So what have we just done? We've just let air get back in the system. You must have a check valve on the purge port. Mm. Then when you take the gun off, all of the oil stays in there, so we've gotten rid of all of the air in the system. Okay. On the discharge side of the, of the manifold, you should always have a check valve. Why do we do that? Because when the pump is pumping and it pumps oil into the divider blocks, we don't want the oil working its way back this way. Just so happens, let's just say the pump has a, it's got a check valve in it. Let's just say that it, for some reason, is slipping. But as long as we're pushing oil out here, and there's a check discharge check valve on the manifold, oil can't get back the opposite direction. So these are things, simple, simple things that could lessen the heartburn of any operator out there. And not only that, it keeps the compressor operating. So it keeps it online. Since we're using tops for an example, you will not see any loop system on any compressor that comes out of top shop that doesn't have that manifold on it with a purge port 
and a discharge check valve and a pressure catch. And it's these little simple things that keep those compressors online. It would maybe helpful to even take a cell phone camera and go through one of your systems you've done and just kind of do that as one of the episodes to kind of educate people on how that works. We can do that. Actually, I have a full working divider block lubrication system in my training classes. I go through every component on there. It's one of those things that, once again, if you're demonstrating something and it's hands-on, people listen. And believe me, if you want to find somebody sleeping in a class where somebody has a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) and they don't have anything to pass around for me to hold, I'm going to be the guy sleeping in the class. I agree. How far do you go and travel and teach and train? Do you go all over the world? I've traveled everywhere around the world. I've been to Australia. I've been to Germany, Mexico, South America, across the United States. In this day and time right now, I do classes where I am right now in Fredericksburg, Texas, and I have room for about 10 to 12 people. And so the people get out of their norm, but I also will go into shops and work with people on these divider block systems. The only thing we're lacking, and somehow in the last 10 or 12 years, we've lost training for the operation and maintenance of these systems. And how many new people have come on board that someone has showed them something wrong? And so we just need to get training back in place. So how do we do that? And who do we need to target? Is that the big third-party packagers like the Artrox of the world? Is that more of the the manufacturers, Ariel? I mean, who do we need to be targeting saying, we've got to get back into the training and development? The place to train is right there in the shop, in a training room that they have in most facilities. So people can see what they're doing. Then you take a trip out to the shop. And I have never been in a shop with compressors in the shop that I couldn't pressure test going another direction, that I couldn't pressure test a divider block system and show them it was failing. But in defense of them, nobody's ever said, you need to pressure test these blocks to make sure they have low pressure. And so if you don't know, you don't know. You know, I can't say anything about the operators or the mechanics or people that are rebuilding compressors because they just don't know what they're doing if they don't check the design of the divider block system and install the correct components. Okay. It's very simple. It's not rocket scientists. I'm a goober from West Texas, and we just need to get training in place. And I specialize in the operation and maintenance of these systems. And once again, I'm not smarter than anybody out there. I've just been doing this a long time. I mean, who is it that needs to reach out to you? I mean, what, tell me the kinds of companies that need to reach out to you to get trained and understand the operations more. Any compression leasing company that can bring their people in the field and for training, any owner operator, any plant out there that have operators out there that are working on their compressors, they need training for their people in the divider block field. And so actually anybody that's operating a compressor is a candidate to have their operators, their mechanics, anyone that works on a compressor to go to training for a divider block system. Where can people find you, get a hold of you, and get that Uh, scheduled? You can pass my cell phone around to everybody. My cell phone is 432-967-2582. And I welcome any owner-operator around the world to call me 
and see if I don't answer it because I answer my cell phone 24 hours a day. I do some business in England. I've got customers I'm talking to in Australia. And if it's 10 o'clock at night and an operator has a problem, they're welcome to call me. Because I can normally, if somebody will tell me what their system's doing and they have pressure gauges on it, I can normally walk somebody through and help them get it back online. But the cool thing about it, Michael, is I have two other people that answer their phones 24 hours a day. One of them is Tim Royce. He's my son. And he's the best of the best in this field. The other one is Charlie Hughes, who is works with us. And Charlie, we call him a brainiac because he's into computers and software and calculations. And both these guys are available 24 hours a day. And both of them are excellent at troubleshooting and installing divider block systems. I look forward to probably having you on again. I would hope that as kind of how the format of this podcast is going to go and this interview goes, I would love for you to say, hey, let's do a specific video and, try and get it out there on lubricator pumps or divider blocks or something that will continue to educate the industry. Because I think on either on the podcast or earlier, we had that phone call, you there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars being wasted on overhauling compressors and no one's checking out the simple foundational thing of the lubrication system. If you have ways or you can think of things that would help train people, I would love to get on and do a specific show just on that. We could do an episode just on something like that. Absolutely. I'd love to do that. However, we can get the word out. I'm in business with lubrication systems. My goal before I pass this world is to get people to understand the operation of maintenance systems. And they don't have to buy from me. They just need to put the correct components on there and know why the components. By the way, I have several papers I've written entitled Why, Why, Why on each component of the divider block system that explains why the component is necessary. And so if they want to read these things, but you know what? I write them. I don't read them. Where can people find those papers if they want to read them? You know what? I can get those put on my website. We can do that. And I've got manuals on guidelines for installing lubrication systems that I'd be happy to send anybody that wants one. As a matter of fact, we sent out about 20,000 copies or so with Gas Compression Magazine last year. And so the only thing I left off out of this manual, and I'm not perfect, was that pressure regulator. And I was so upset whenever I looked at that and went, oh, how did I leave that pressure regulator off of it? But anyway. These papers are available, and however's the best way I can get those out there. I can have my website people list each one for each component, and they're welcome to go out there and grab hold of them. Well, this has been very educational for me and just fun to talk with. I can tell that you're self-employed, you're an entrepreneur, you own your own business, and I'm sure you like making sales, but at the end of the day, you just really like to help people and teach, and that's just really cool. You got a heart of a teacher, and that's I love seeing that in the entrepreneurial world. So thanks for all that you do for the industry, and I look forward to doing this again. All right. Thank you for taking the time to even call me to do this, and uh, let's get the industry, the, the compressor industry, up to date on operation maintenance, the divider block. Talk soon. All right, Curtis. Thanks for coming on. I'll see you soon. Okay, buddy. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Gas Compression Podcast. 
You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at gascompressionpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is sponsored by Gas Compression Magazine. Published monthly, Gas Compression Magazine provides in-depth coverage of the products, systems, technologies, and news that affect the global gas compression industry. Available in print and digital delivery, subscribe for free at www.gascompressionmagazine.com.